like, please, God, if there is a God, please just take the stomach from me. Just take me from this world. You know, it's like it's still so automatic that we think about this this invisible being in the sky who cares about us and could help us and maybe will help us, but also maybe sometimes won't. And that's where I think the attachment is. That's interesting to me and somewhat concerning. You know, I don't fully understand or know how that Hello and welcome to Not So Peter Priesthood Podcast. This is your host, Jake Taylor. Um, I Just right at the top, I do want to say that you can email me at notsopeterpriesthood at gmail.com. You can send your stories, your um, anything that you want to send me. If you want to reach out to me, I'm also on Instagram at notsopeterpriesthood. Uh, that's a really good way to reach out to me if you just want to chat. Um, also, if you can go on and rate, review, and subscribe, that's a good way for the podcast to get discovered and um, for more people to find us. So um, with that said, I have a very special guest today, um, Christy. Uh, good to see you, Christy. Welcome. Thank you. It's really good to be here. I'm excited for us to have a chat in real time. Yeah. So um, Christy reached out to me because we have things in common. So that was interesting. We both have a German Shepherd and we both have we both have lived in uh, Pensacola and San Diego, and we have uh, connections with the Navy. <laughs> so, and, oh, and, and BYU Idaho, that's correct. Yeah, we're going to get into that another time, but on another podcast, probably. But we've already talked about other um, things that we're going to talk about with that. So, <laughs> and I just, I, you said you were there. Um, 02 to 04, and I was there. I was on my mission at that time. So. Um, okay, so we did not cross paths. Yeah. <laughs> no Rexburg. Yeah. No, unfortunately, but that's where my like, uh, I have a lot of ties there. But <laughs> good times. Right, because you're from Rigby. Yeah. Which is, I'm trying to think, because I would drive like down to Utah, it, Rigby South, right? I would have driven mm-hmm. through. Yeah, oh, for sure. And it's the birthplace of the television, so. That's right. I remember that. I mean, You always see that sign on the side of the, (laughs) and that's like the claim to fame. But really, it wasn't like, what was his name? Philo Philo T. Farnsworth. Like, he just went to school in Rigby. He didn't, like, invent the TV there. Like, he just was there and then left and invented the TV. So, I guess, whatever. But they have a whole museum for him there. Hey, that's cool. You know, take what you (laughs) think until Rigby. (laughs) is something better let's just go with tv right right and potatoes <laughs> um so i am just a little side note i'm drinking a little uh spicy coffee this morning as my little sister would call it spicy it's a spicy drink because it has alcohol in it <laughs> so okay what's what's in your concoction um, I coffee and then I'd put a little vanilla creamer and I put a little bit of sugar. <laughs> it's really good for you. And then I put some rum in there, <laughs> black spiced rum. It's beautiful in its simplicity. I wish I could join you. I'm drinking throat coat tea to try to help with cold recovery, which confirms not COVID. It's a cold. <laughs> I know whenever I hear someone these days and they're like, oh, I just have a cold. I'm always in the back of my mind like, how do you know? Is it really? Yeah. Do you know? Are you sure? Are you sure? How can you know though? I, um, well, and I have a coworker that got sick and then she, she was like, I think it's bronchitis. And I was, everybody was just like, Oh, it's just bronchitis. But then she found out it was COVID and everybody was like freaking out. I'm like, I feel like bronchitis is like still pretty serious. <laughs> it's still pretty rough. Yeah. <laughs> like, it can be worse for some. Um, but yeah, I'm always so intrigued whenever people are sick right now, but they're like, Oh no, I know it's this. Like how 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 do you yeah. know? Unless you want to test, you actually don't know. Yeah. So um, uh, I get tested. It is it's not COVID. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> um. So we're today going to talk about that was very awkward. Uh. We are today. Today we are going to um talk a little bit about like attachment um and the Mormon community. I don't um. Christy is a therapist, so that's I'm very excited. I've been wanting to get a somebody on here that has like 
um, a therapy background. I do have another guest that has a therapy background also, but um, I feel like there's different conversations you can have with different therapists, you know? And so um, anyway, we, so I don't, I don't know if you want to tell a little bit about your background and then we can go from there. Sure, sure. So, yes, um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and also an ex-Mormon. So those are two of my uh, identifiers about me. And, um, yeah, we all have different orientations. The field of therapy is so diverse. So um, I primarily focus on trauma and I use sort of an attachment-based framework, which I think attachment seems to be coming more mainstream. Like I think a lot more people in the general population have at least heard of attachment or know some things about it. I've seen a lot floating around on the socials. I mean, had had you heard of like attachment theory or attachment styles? Some of it. I'm So I have friends that were, um, so my Anne who was on the podcast, her wife is a clinical therapist PhD student and she's like she's getting going through her um internship right now but the um there's that this the so and her whole group her whole cohort I became really good friends with them and so I've kind of learned a lot from them just like in like discussion and conversation with them but like and they I hear attachment kind of floating through the you know in what they say and I'm just like oh that's but I don't actually know what it is so if you can maybe elaborate a little on it I don't I'm sure it's not something we can just cover in like in <laughs> one podcast but like <laughs> yeah. yeah um so I'll, I'll try to just kind of summarize it and make it uh like very easy and digestible but just know that what I'm sharing here today there's there's so much more so if people are interested I can share maybe at the end some resources and books I recommend um, but yeah, so in general, attachment and attachment theory focuses on, as, as the name implies, our attachments with other people, starting with our, our primary caregiver. So attachment begins from birth and really from birth to age one is kind of this critical period where we're developing our framework for attachment. And so in infancy, it has to do with the responsiveness of your caregiver. So if you... And, and I will also tie all this back into Mormonism and leaving Mormonism in case people are like, uh, okay, why <laughs> why should I care about this? Honestly, everyone should because it's fascinating and it impacts us all. So I just want to say I'll tie it all back in later. Um, but in infancy, you have a primary caregiver. Oftentimes, it's the mom. doesn't have to be. could be anybody. But just for the purpose of this example, we'll say it's mom. So when a baby cries, that's really their only way of getting their needs met. They can't specifically ask. They're completely helpless. They're completely dependent on this caretaker, right? So they cry to signal to the caregiver they have a need and a very attuned, uh, attentive caregiver will be able to figure that out, you know, as you get to know your baby. And so it might be the baby needs to be fed. It might be the baby just needs comfort. The baby needs to be changed. Could be any of those things. So, when a baby signals to its caregiver and that caregiver provides the care, that consistently over time leads to what we would call a secure attachment style, which the the research estimates around half the population are securely attached. <laughs> Looks like Archer's up to some shenanigans over there. <laughs> um, that's why Jake, Jake's on mute right now. He's He's dealing with Archer. Yeah, he's good now. We're good. <laughs> you can go ahead. I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that would be a secure attachment. And again, consistency is key. So there's uh, so there's two general types <laughs> and unsecure <laughs> types of attachment. And so the secure, we just went over under the, the insecure attachment umbrella. There's two main kinds, anxious and avoidant. So let's say in infancy, that caregiver was actually very inconsistent. Sometimes when the baby signaled for care, the caregiver would respond and would give the baby whatever they needed, but sometimes they wouldn't. Maybe they just let the baby cry it out. So that tends to lead to a more anxious attachment style where um, the baby learns, okay, I can sometimes get my needs met if I work 
really, really hard. Like they may have to escalate things. These might be the babies that have to like scream at the top of their lungs for their caregiver to come, which makes, which makes sense. The baby's job is to stay alive. So, um, so that tends to lead to a more anxious, you know, I have to work really hard to get love. Like I'm never quite sure if I'm going to get my needs met or not. Where's the secure going back to the secure attachment. These babies who, who grow up to become adults tend to feel more secure that the world is generally a safe place where I can get my needs met and I am worthy of love and attention and I don't worry too much about people abandoning me and I don't worry too much about people smothering me. So that's that's their framework. So then the other category of insecurely attached would be avoidant. So in infancy, this would look like a caregiver who is more consistently unresponsive like more often than not the baby's needs would not go would go unmet the caregiver would not respond in a timely manner or at all which is really sad to think about so over time these babies learn okay the world is not a safe place where i'm gonna get my needs met there's not really a point in me trying and so sometimes these babies will go very quiet they could even appear to be like the very good babies I'm using air quote like oh this baby is so good like he never cries he never asks for anything I'm not saying that all babies that appear that way have this insecure attachment but um so so then over time this shows up in adulthood in similar ways as you can imagine and granted a lot of things can happen between infancy and adulthood that maybe you're adult attachment style is not the same one when you were an infant you know you may have had an amazing caregiver yeah yeah it's it's not not necessarily permanent it can change over time so you could have had the best caretaker ever and your mother was great and you know or whoever your caregiver was but some other shit happened to you and you know you got kicked around a little bit by life and relationships so that can change over time um so in adulthood, it that kind of translates to secure people tend to not worry excessively in relationships. They don't like constantly fear my partner's going to leave me or why didn't I get a text back in a timely manner or oh, I'm being smothered. They tend to feel pretty secure with themselves and others. And they also tend to respond appropriately when they're you know dealing with someone who is pushing their boundaries or you know, is is a little flaky, they're more likely to say, okay, that's not really my speed. So I'll, you know, I'm going to look for a partner who's more securely attached like me. And I mean, they're not necessarily thinking that people don't necessarily know they're securely attached, but they know it feels good and not good. Whereas the anxious people, you know, classic example of like, sending someone a text, not getting a response right away. And this would be a person who starts freaking out and maybe sends more texts and starts telling themselves this story of, oh my gosh, did I say something wrong? Are they mad at me? Do they not care about me anymore? So are, are you with me so far? Oh yeah, totally. I, um, while you're talking about that, like, I'm just like, huh, I have, I, yeah, maybe I'm a little more, maybe I anxious. I don't know. Like I just, and I, maybe I shouldn't be putting that on my, like, diagnosing myself but I'm just like I, I know I see my own patterns when I'm texting and it's usually just um like just using that example but like it's usually with people that like romantic partners or whatever that I'm just like oh why aren't they responding I know they should be responding or like somebody that I'm like really invested in I'm usually that that way but like if I don't care about them I'm just like okay whatever you know I don't I don't know and then I also um I tend to uh Let's see. I tend to do like uh, go the other way, like on the other end. Then I just like in order to cope, for, like to make up for that. And I'm just like, OK, well, I just don't care about anything. You know, I don't care about any. I just throw my hands up in the air. and I'm like, I'm just done with everything. You know, I just shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a dating strategy. So when our attachment system is activated and we're feeling these really difficult emotions like abandonment or anxiety, we have these deactivating strategies that come in to try to protect us. So shutting down would be one. It's like, okay, this is painful. I don't like how this feels. So I'm just going to, you know, whatever. Fuck it. I'm out. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Because I, yeah. Now I'm like, oh, wow. Like little, like mind blown, like (laughs) <laughs> little fireworks are going off in my brain I'm like oh yeah that's yeah jake that's what's going on with you you're deactivating so and now i don't have a, a word for it so <laughs> yes. 
Okay. And this is why I think attachment is so helpful for all of us to be educated about because we all have an attachment style and it does impact us in ways that are beyond our, our awareness. But once, you know, we can't change anything that we're not aware of. Once it becomes to the level of awareness, then we can start to do something about it. So, um, okay. So let me just wrap up real quick with the, the avoidance. We can't leave them out. The, uh, right. the adults tend to get such a bad rap. Like they're, they're the villain, right? They're the ones that are maybe ghosting people or like kind of like the more cold distant that, that can be how they appear. But it's important to note that even avoidant people, which by the way, I, I have an avoidant attachment style that I'm working really, really hard on. So, so like, I get it. I understand like how it feels to be this person. Um, it's not that avoidant people don't want to be in relationships. They're frequently out there dating, having relationships. Cause at the end of the day, we are all wired for connection and belonging. That's, that's just kind of how it is. Um, and there are some mental health disorders where people might feel differently, but generally speaking, we all want that. Um, but they tend to have a fear of a, engulfment, whereas anxiously attached people have a fear of abandonment. Avoidantly attached people have this fear of engulfment, like, you know, sort of being smothered or merging with another person. And again, going back to infancy or whatever life experiences they may have had, they learned at some point along the way that relationships are not safe. They're not a consistent source of love and support. I have to take care of myself. And it can be really scary when you're doing your best to just take care of yourself and you perceive whether real or not, you perceive someone else is trying to like just come into your space and the risk and the vulnerability of being hurt. So, you know, just, just a little plug for the avoidant people that it feels really bad to be on the receiving end of that. But behind every avoidantly attached person is a story that would break your heart of, you know, learning to have to take care of yourself. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, very general overview of attachment styles and what they look like and how they feel. Oh, I should mention, um, sorry, last thing, I, sh I don't want to leave this out, but um, a less, a smaller segment of the population falls under the category of disorganized attachment, which means they don't really fit the other three, but they're high on anxiety and high on avoidance. So they could look like anxious at one point and avoidant at another, and it's very hard to land on a consistent framework. I was just going to ask if there's um, if there's a possibility because I of like both kind of attachment style or all three or whatever. Because when you were talking about avoidant, I was like, I've done that too, you know. Just like, and I don't know if it's like, but I think. I feel like I'm a little more on the anxious side, but I, I definitely have maybe a little bit of avoidance in me too. But um, I it's it's such fascinating stuff. And um, I always like learning about like why I why I do the things I do and why people do the things they do. That's psychology has always been something I I took a psychology class for fun, <laughs> like an intro to psychology class, which it was fun, but it was one of the hardest fucking classes I've ever taken, and it was not like that part wasn't fun, and I was just um and my sister and I took it and we just like shared a you could anyway this is this is a BYU Idaho too and I we just shared a textbook because we were just too cheap to like both buy one you know buy each other one but um I I didn't even really even look at the textbook because she always had it and so like that made it harder obviously but then anyway that's a little tangent but the like I just um, so disorganized, so that's, but it's a small population of people that are like that. So, yeah, I, again, the estimates and like, nope, nobody really truly knows, but the estimates are around half, a little more than half are secure around 20% are avoidant, 20% are anxious, and then maybe 10%. Did I get that math right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't. 50, 70, 90. Yes, you did it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of the reasons I became a therapist is that I was so terrible at math. I'm like, well, this is going to um, limit my choices. But yeah, but also like yourself, the human psyche is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. So um, going with that, there's um, I guess we can. Oh, man. Let's see. Um, so how does I guess 
we wrote this is the listeners this is the first time i've ever actually sent questions to the uh the guest first and she sent me questions so we are prepared <laughs> that's right but i'm very proud of that um so thank you for getting me on the ball on that christy um but it, like i guess the one question is like how does this i guess tie into mormonism and like leaving in mormonism and how that impacts our attachments from with other people sure so so some of this is just kind of my own opinion i'm still working on my spiritual trauma and yeah i haven't like dived deep into the research on specifically what we're about to talk about prior to this podcast so so take take all of this with a grain of salt this is me taking my accumulated knowledge and expertise and kind of making some like here's what i think is going on so um so we all have these neuropathways in our brain right they are connected to memories and experiences we had we have like neural networks for different topics so attachment in general we all have an attachment neural network that again starts with infancy and the care that you got and your parents and then if you have siblings it extends to them grandparents extended family even friends we have all these different attachment figures in our lives pets for sure pets and in fundamental religions like mormonism i think it makes sense that God, Heavenly Father, and Jesus are sort of a part of this attachment neural network because, you know, what are you told? I mean, the the kinder, nicer, more palatable things you're told is that God loves you and he knows you personally and he's always there for you and Jesus died for your sins and he too knows every pain you've ever experienced and that they're, you know, they're both kind of like right there with you all the time. And I know there there was a time like I was fully indoctrinated. Well, I think we'll get to that later in the, the podcast. But there was definitely a time where I I don't know how often I actually found comfort, but I definitely sought comfort in that idea. You know, you're who among us who's been Mormon in a moment of intense pain and suffering has not prayed seeking comfort. And maybe sometimes we got that and sometimes we didn't, but but that pops into your head almost automatically. You're suffering and it's like, oh, please. Even still, like I had the stomach flu like a year or two ago. And I remember automatically being like, please, God, if there is a God, please just take the stomach flu from me. Or just take me from this world. You know, it's like it's still so automatic that we think about this, this invisible being in the sky who cares about us and could help us and maybe will help us, but also maybe sometimes won't. And that's where I think the attachment is, that's interesting to me and somewhat concerning. You know, I don't fully understand or know how that impacted me or all of us. But what I'm thinking is, how confusing is that, that there's, you know, this this God and Jesus who know you, love you, and are watching over you constantly. But sometimes they're not going to answer your prayers. Sometimes they're just going to watch you suffer and they're going to be silent. And that's sort of like a test or a letting you go through something that somehow is going to make you better. Or, you know, sometimes they might heal you or heal your sibling who is is sick and sometimes they won't. And it's this and it's also conditional love. Right. So then add in a dash of, OK, they're also watching you. And if you masturbate or drink coffee or have alcohol or lie they're going to withdraw from you, right? That like mm -hmm. spirit leaves when you do X, Y, and Z. So that's, that's fucking crazy, right? You have these yeah. like, <laughs> this conditional heavenly father who's like, I love you. I would do anything for you. I'm always with you. I carried you on the sand, but you drank coffee that one time. So I'm like going to go ahead and turn my back on you. Ooh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, there's also the, the gift of the Holy Ghost that they they mm -hmm. teach about, where it's like you have this constant companion, but you have to be worthy of the companion, okay. and that's um, just like what you're saying. Like if you um, do, if you mess up at all, and then you put that blame on yourself, like, oh well, no wonder I'm not getting healed or I'm not getting what I want. It's because I I messed up that one time. You know, I mm -hmm. I had a little sip of coffee, you know, or something, or I um, I had that one impure thought, you know, and uh 
and there's just like that that shame like that just brings on the shame and the guilt but then it also like i guess with the attachment like the abandonment or the, the anxious feeling of i gotta um i gotta like prove myself to the to be worthy of your love kind of thing and that's that's just bad i hadn't thought about it that way yeah so I've, I've thought about it. And again, like, I don't know if there's any research on this, if there's specific research around, you know, have they looked at how people in fundamentalist religions view their attachments with God? Like, I don't know if that's a study. I'm pr- I probably should have looked it up before, but I'm definitely going to look it up after this podcast. But, you know, these are these are things that I think about because we've all lived it. You know, well, at least the ex-Mormons or other, you know, fundamentalists listening to this podcast, like we've lived that probably everyone can resonate with you know, some form of what I just said. And then layer onto that, maybe your own parents, siblings, attachment figures, maybe they too believe all these same things. And it's just sort of an extension. So like, you know, your mom and dad love you no matter what, but if they found out that you got a tattoo or skipped church to go drink, you're gay, you know, certainly not all families think this way, but they might withdraw some of that love from you and either explicitly or maybe it's not like said, but it's just kind of implied that we'll love you again completely if and when you change your behavior and you fall back in alignment. Yeah. That's super scary and painful. That's so painful. And the reason why attachment is so important and so critical and impacts us all is it's that survival. That is our survival as an infant we literally would not have survived without a consistent caregiver and as adults not much has changed mentally sure we can feed ourselves we can get around we can take care of our basic needs but we cannot survive without belonging and love and knowing that we have a community a tribe whatever word resonates like we need that that is survival so anytime we feel there's a threat to our attachment especially in Mormonism, oftentimes our whole world, all of our attachment figures are in this belief system. They they kind of feel the same way or would tell you the same things. So you know, okay, if I'm gay or having sex with my partner, drinking, whatever it is, right away you have this whole attachment network that you think of them and you feel somehow less than or you feel distant from them because you know you just did something that if they all knew, they would maybe not love you the same, maybe not accept you the same. Oh, absolutely. That. Um, so I think I've said it on the podcast before, if not, um, but I just had a conversation with my parents and it was um, very much like, I need help from you. Like that was me saying that. And they, um, it came with conditions on their end. Like it became with, um, well, you would be doing better if you didn't turn your back on the Lord and if you started going to church and if you started doing this, started reading the scriptures, you know, and my dad literally said that, that I'm angry at the church for the wrong reasons. And um, which I'm like, what are the right reasons? I've said that uh, anyway, but the, I, um, I've been one of the, I guess, quote unquote, lucky ones in the, like, as far as like coming out as gay to them. And um, cause some families just completely disown their, their children for that. And especially if you're in a fundamentally religious um, family upbringing. So I, um, I tend to, I always like, oh, well, at least it's, you know, at least I'm not disowned. At least they're like, they still come, you know, they, they met my ex, you know, that was great. They've, they still like include me in everything as much as they can. But I, then, then sometimes I like, I find out stuff that I, I feel like I should know, but I find it out from my little sister who tells me these things that I'm like, oh, cool. That would be nice to know. Like stuff that's like family, like things that would include me in the family that I yeah. feel like I should be a part of and not necessarily like dis- like huge decisions, but like they just got a dog and like, okay, cool. I, one of my horses, one of the horses that we I grew up with, like I don't love horses, but like I grew up with them. And so, I have an attachment to that horse and he died and they didn't tell me. Oh. So like it's stuff like that where it's just like, okay, well, like, am I included? Am I like, is it, is it better to be included and like, yeah, have those conditions on 
that inclusion or is it better to just like sever it completely? I don't know if there's, I don't know. Anyway. That's, oh, that's so painful. Thank you for sharing that. That is so painful. I feel for you. I'm so sorry about the loss of the horse, by the way, that ugh, there's nothing like losing an animal that you love. And that right there is what I'm talking about. That distancing that, you know, maybe they're not saying it to you specifically, like we're leaving you out of things because we don't like how you're acting, but it's that, that feeling of distance and othering. And you're still, you're still the same person. If anything, you're more authentic than you've ever been. You know yourself better. So, oh, Jake, that I'm so sorry. And I just want to say you don't deserve that at all. None of us do. You and anyone listening, if you are getting that, that othering, that pushing away, that people looking at you differently for just being authentic and owning who you are, that is nothing that you did. You not deserve that. You deserve unconditional love. We all. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, Oh, I um, what was it that? So I went on vacation with them in Florida. This uh, and it was the first time I drank alcohol in front of them because I was always like keeping that, you know. I felt like it was like be respectful at least, you know, and just like especially because when I would go visit them, I'd be at their house, so I'm not gonna drink at their house because that's you know, and it's like abide by the rules kind of thing and just kind of do make it nice. Yeah, is like is it worth it to to maintain that? like that appearance still like why I try to still seek their approval even though I know that it's never gonna I'm never gonna be fully approved by them and then there's gonna be and if and if I like their approval quote-unquote comes with conditions and so I don't know it's it's interesting to think and I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one that that's happened to and it's not the um it's uh like let me try to say it's um wow oh, I just lost it but anyway <laughs> go ahead <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I'm I think I'm with you I it speaks to like a lot of us are put in this position do you choose authenticity or belonging that's not a choice we should have to make that's insane right. that's insane we should be able to be authentically ourselves and have belonging not this either or and I think a lot of people, and probably most of us for a time at least, the way we're wired, our biology, our evolution, most of us are going to want to default to choosing belonging over authenticity. I think that's a core component of so many of our faith crises is you find out everything, the light bulb goes on, you're like, holy shit, it's all a lie. And then immediately it's like, okay, but if it's all a lie, then there's so much I'm going to lose. I can't, you know, do I tell my family? Would they believe me? So that's really hard. Most of us don't get there right away. Like, yep, no prop, no questions. I'm choosing authenticity over belonging. Most of us choose belonging, at least initially. Some people continue to choose that and that's fine. Everyone does what they need to do to survive. But I think it takes a really exceptionally strong person, emotionally intelligent person, solid person to choose authenticity and temporarily lose a sense of belonging. You're just making your own way in the world. That's so hard. And that's a part of my story. So I like I've lived that. I know what that feels like. It's so painful. And you do eventually you find your people, but that interim period where it's like you're like jumping off the cliff, there's no safety net. Oh, it's so hard. Absolutely. I um that was always my thing. Like it's been my kind of like my my mantra is authenticity. Like I just and that's just like one of my favorite words now. It's just like I go back to that. Like, am I being true to myself? Am I being true to the world? Like, um, and it wasn't like an easy journey. Like it was um it was I fought that for a long time. Like I can I can choose the quote unquote easy route and just be Mormon and do whatever. But then I was like, but that's not fair to any. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to anybody else. Like if I were to just uh, marry a woman and just you know pretend like I'm straight and I do all this stuff, then do everything that the Mormons tell you to do, I could you know live a decently happy life, but it wouldn't be authentic. And it, like you said, you shouldn't have to choose between those things. It should not be either or it should be like you choose 
your authenticity and you're able to, everybody should be able to be themselves, whatever that looks like. Unless you're a murderer or a rapist. <laughs> sure. <maybe don't. laughs> but, um, but yeah, just kind of like sexuality, gender identity, those are super basic human rights. However, in the framework of the Mormon church and other similar religions, like it's, you have a prescribed life. There are ways you're supposed to turn out. And by just being you, you've already gone outside the box, but you're not doing anything wrong. This is literally who you are. So good for you for choosing that, that authenticity, because I, I think it's also paradoxical. Like even if we choose the belonging and we sacrifice authenticity over time, you feel lonely anyways, because the version of you that people love and, you know, welcome you into their, their lives, that, that part of you isn't real. So you still feel lonely. It's like, it's like, if you just, you can't win that game. So it's not easy, but choosing authenticity in the end, that's, that's a happy, meaningful life where there can be connection. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, my mom recently said something to my little sister that, uh, cause my little sister came out as atheist or like, uh, she doesn't believe in the church, basically. You might hear Archer whining in the background. Anyway, um, but he, let's see, but, and they, they acted the same way they did when I came out as gay to her. Like they, um, and my mom basically said that she is choosing a lonely path. And that's basically what she said to me when I was, when I came out as gay. And then also, um, she also brought me up in that conversation and said, well, Jake is on that path and he seems really lonely. So like when you said like, it's lonely, sure. I'm, I mean, I'm single. That doesn't mean I'm lonely, you know? And I, when I heard that, cause I heard that from my, my little sister and I was like, I got really angry about that. Cause I was just like, what they perceive of me is that they think that I'm just, I've chosen this lonely chosen also chosen this lonely life, you know, like, as if it's a, a choice you know it's just that i chose to be um authentic and that's I, I guess maybe they just don't understand it you know obviously but they're um mm-hmm. it's just interesting to me because they always when they talk to me they don't really present that to me like they don't say they don't even ask how i'm doing in that aspect so it's just kind of like so you do feel this way like you understand that you see this is how you see me that you don't even ask about how that is like are you actually lonely jake are you actually like how are you doing like i never talk about my love life with them like there's always this like barrier with them with that and um and i i don't know if i know i do that just for my own protection because i don't want it to i don't i don't know how to they'll receive it you know and the fact that they met my ex was huge i did put that on them i said like hey, you're coming in town. He can, you can meet him if you want, you know, and they, they agreed to it. It was just amazing. But um, like when we broke up, like I, it was like one of the worst breakups I've ever been through. And they weren't like, I told them, yeah, we broke up. And my mom was just kind of like, oh, I kind of figured it was going to happen. And I'm like, like, okay. Yeah. I was like, how'd you, how'd you know? Like, how'd you, what made you think? Cause you met him for like a night, you know, like you spent a day with him and she was like, Oh, well he was just really charismatic. And like, he just had like something about him. And I was like, but you didn't tell me like, you didn't, you didn't like, I'm your son. Like you had no, you didn't, you saw red flags or something. And you didn't tell me. Whereas if it were like, if she, if he were a woman and I was like, you probably would have been all about that, you know, and been like, Oh yeah, well I liked her, but this is, you know, maybe you, want to be thinking about this you know but i think there's that um disapproval already and they just that they've already filtered it through even though even though they want to show support there's also that like that layer of disapproval that it has to go through for them to if that makes sense oh totally and perhaps the hope that dating men maybe won't work out for you so you'll just kind of like switch back to women like, I don't know if your parents are the type that's like, oh, maybe it's just a phase. Oh, yeah. But again, I'm I'm sorry. The You know, imagine a, a question you would have liked to have been asked is, how's your heart? You know, I'm sorry to hear that. How is oh, yeah. that for you? How can we support you? What do you need? Yeah, absolutely. They, um, I don't know. And I, I tend to look at it with their age, too. You know, generational sometimes. And I give them a lot of... 
uh, I think we give a, people, especially the, that should love us and that are our caregivers and that we grew up with, I think we give them a lot of allowances that way. And they're like, oh, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to continue to accept this as, as much as I can, because this is the only way I know that they love, you know, this, they're, they're loving me the way they know how with the tools they receive, they, they have that they can work with, but it's also like, can't they just like, try new tools like is there what's like what's what's wrong with them trying putting some effort into like changing things up a little bit you know and like reframing how they're how they show their love they they certainly could and yeah that's very insightful and emotionally intelligent of you to be able to recognize that but also be able to recognize they need them to have other tools something that has helped me a lot and that i tell all of my clients is they're is an explanation for everything. All human behavior can be explained, especially if we knew someone's full life story, but an explanation is not the same thing as an excuse. So it still helps to have the explanation. So, okay, it's the explanation of your parents approaching you this way is not that you're not worthy of love or you're somehow bad. The explanation is that they don't know how to navigate this. Their neural network for relationships and life and how life is supposed to go does not include this at all. So that's, that's the explanation. However, you know, you make the point, like, is there really, is there an excuse for not, not like expanding that? Is there, is there a reason why you can't get new tools, why you can't change and grow, especially for your own child? And that's, you know, that's where I feel like, okay, the explanation helps it make sense, but it's okay to say, most especially to yourself, I I deserved better. There's really, there's no excuse for my, you know, my parents not supporting me in the ways that I need to be supported in ways they would support me in if I was dating a girl. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting because I, and I, I mean, I've, I don't even know where I came, like I got to this point, like I don't, as far as like, thinking about it that way I think I just like I get in my head a lot with that stuff and so I just kind of I I I definitely overthink a lot and I just um and I I definitely analyze things that they say I'm like what they mean by that you know and I just I probably think a little too deeply on that but because maybe sometimes they don't mean it the way they it comes across and it's just how they how I perceive it too you know so um I think that plays into it also but how comfortable would you be maybe like reflecting things back to them. So it can be risky, but like they, if they say something to you and you have that automatic thought of like, uh, do they mean this or this? How comfortable would you be just saying, okay, mom, so here's what I heard you say. And this is like how I'm interpreting that. Am I getting that right? Is that how, is that what you mean? Oh yeah. And then allowing her, which might be uncomfortable for her, but it's just naming what's already there. When she says something and you're not sure if there's a double meaning, let her tell you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The um, one of my friends um, that's also a, she just got her doctorate, uh, her PhD in therapy. She she was good at that. Like, and I've learned a lot of that skill with like of just like reflecting things back to her, to you. And because um, I'd be just like having a rent, like a regular conversation with her, and she would just like automatically like. So what I'm hearing is this, you know, like oh, so like this is. Um, when you say this, what do you mean by that? You know, kind of like just kind of delving into like and, and me, me having to explain it was um, just like sheds a different light on it. And I think that would be helpful. I don't, I, I don't know. It would take a little bit for me to be comfortable with that with my parents, especially my dad. Like there's um, like, it's his birthday this weekend. And I, um, I sent him a text and it didn't go through because he was up in the mountains with the horses. And then I got a message from my mom saying, um, you should text your, you should call your dad for his birthday. And I'm like, eh, there's still like a little bit of like feelings there about what he said to me last time we talked. So I don't know what to do. <laughs> but, um, man, this is turning into a therapy session for me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, we're we're talking about therapeutic things. It's different from a therapy session, but but yeah, like there are tools available to all of us because most of us did not get a wide range of tools or communication skills or conflict navigation skills like in or outside the Mormon church. That's just not something most of us are taught. So we have to 
yeah, we have to help each other out. Like these conversations are helpful. It, it helps me too. helps remind me what tools I have. Well, I definitely think um, mental health has become more in the foreground lately. And it's this beautiful thing to see. I, I definitely remember um, growing up like, and especially like even when I was at BYU Idaho, like up into my like twenties, like I, you didn't hear about mental health the way you do now, which is really, um, really good. I uh, my job is actually with child and adult protection services. I do admin work for them, and um, one of the things that attracted me to that went to where I work is that they did talk about mental health and how and like secondary trauma and like how we can that that's something that they are very cognizant about. And I was like, Oh, that's really good. That's, I like that climate and knowing that you can talk about anything, you know, and just, and it's going to be accepted as far as like, okay, well, and your feelings are validated. And it's just like, Oh, imagine that validated feelings. It's great. <laughs> imagine that. That's just crazy. enough. <laughs> that's really hard work that you do, by the way, hard and so important. Thank you yeah. for what you do. Oh, thank you. I, um, I've learned a lot from it. It's not something I, I could, caseworkers are a whole, like that takes a very special human to do what they do. Um, they're overworked and underpaid and they deal with some very traumatic experiences that they just, and, um, and it's, they have to do the hard, you know, the hard things. Sometimes they have to, there was, um, one caseworker that told me about having to remove a child a baby from the grandparents home and I was and she was just heartbroken over it and I um it's just hearing that I'm just like I can't even imagine having to be the one responsible for that so it's it's something that I think needs to be um I do like that my where I work is a little more um they're about like changing the stigma of casework and social work and um of changing the that perception that they're all just out to like tear up families. Like we're actually, they're actually trying to rebuild families and keep you, keep people out of the system and keep, you know, make it so you're not returning, you know? And so like, we don't ever want to see you again. Like it's just, as long as we can make it so that your family is um, supportive and that you're in this, like it goes back to attachment. Like I've heard that word a lot at work too, like talking about attachment with um, and how there's, there's some parents that just I don't get it. There's the attachment is just not right. there. So there are people reproducing who have possibly little to no attachment neural network themselves. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's no screening to have children. There's no one gives you a test or sits you down to see, OK, like, do you know how to have healthy attachments? Do you know how to care for an infant? So, yeah, we need we need more education. We need more talking about mental health. Obviously, I'm, yeah, I'm a huge advocate. I'm in the field, so. That's awesome. Um, so I guess going back with, um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was like, how do you, like, with attachment, so like, um, one of the things I've been working hard on is like boundaries. And I've, um, I guess, how does that work with, how does that play in with like attachment and like, um, how do you create healthy boundaries with while maintaining, while kind of answering to your attachment? Like, does that make sense? I don't. Yeah. Uh, so many people struggle with attachment. I think especially, or sorry, boundaries. I think especially growing up Mormon, that, that was never a word that I heard. Like, did you ever hear that word? No, no, it wasn't. Honestly, going to another word that I never heard, this is a whole other topic, but like consent. Like, I didn't hear that word until. And then we could talk about that forever, but like <laughs> consent, like could be its own episode. Yeah, I hadn't heard that word until I was 29 and in the Navy, and they were t- teaching us about sexual assault and uh, being a what they call it, a bystander, a good bystander, and um, an interve- intervening in those situations. And I was just like, and I, I'm like consent what a like why didn't i why didn't i think about this you know and like being a bystander like what the what the fuck is that like and here i like 29 years old and this is the first time i'm hearing about it but boundaries is also another word that i just i didn't really even didn't put have any frame of mind with it it was just like oh well i'm just gonna 
people just do what they're supposed to do what they do when you know and i i'm always like one of these like people pleasers so i'm like oh yeah sure you can do that you should can do that and it's like for also with like my dating life i've learned to like um set up boundaries also like because i used to be just like i'm an open book and i'm just gonna share 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 and i'm you know all this stuff and like um, but then I got burned by that a lot. And so now I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's where I work on my boundaries, but it's anyway, um, that's, yeah. So that, it's funny when I started graduate school, so like I already had my degree in psychology, which I got from BYU, by the way, we were taught, we, like they were throwing word, around the word boundaries in graduate school. And I knew it was a word, but I honestly didn't know what it meant. And I was just sitting there nodding, like, yeah, totally, like, boundaries with clients. Like, I totally got this. Like, I had a habit of if I didn't understand something or know something, rather than ask a question and look stupid, I'd just, like, say nothing and maybe try to Google it later. But, (laughs) but yeah, so boundaries as it relates to all of this. I mean, everything goes back to attachment when you, like, I think the simplest terms you can think of it is we're wired for belonging and acceptance. That's just universally true. So how that relates to boundaries, depending on your family of origin, and again, the Mormon church, like if you weren't allowed or encouraged to say no, or say that's personal or that's private, then you might associate boundaries with like a loss of of love and attachment. If you had ever tried to set a boundary with your family and they responded badly, created distance, cut you off, maybe even told you, you are bad, what you're doing is wrong. Well, then you you might associate setting boundaries with loss of love in connection, which is not a good thing. That doesn't feel good. That doesn't mean, <clears throat> sorry, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't set boundaries. It just means you have to be prepared that there are people in your life who have benefited from your lack of boundaries and are going to push back. If you try to have boundaries, that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. I have to tell myself that so much. I'm an Enneagram too. Do you know your Enneagram style? So I just, I just did it. And I was, um, I was like, really, I'm an one, an activist. Okay. I but I don't, you really, I was like, when I saw it, I was like, really? Cause <laughs> I don't know. Um, I could also see you being a two. You might have a wing of a two. I don't want to like get too deep in Enneagram, but I think it's an interesting tool. Um, but yeah, twos are really wired for helping and saying yes. I think ones are very similar. So something I have to tell myself still all the time, professionally, personally, is someone having a negative reaction to something I say or do doesn't automatically mean that I was wrong or bad. It also doesn't mean that I'm always right. And like, no one should ever react badly, but it just means take, take a pause, take a pause. I have to step back. I have to examine like, okay, that didn't go very well. Let me like, why did that not go well? Was there something on my end? Are they pushing back on a boundary? But this is a boundary I really believe in. Like I'm going to hold this boundary. So maybe that person needs to be like a little more distant from me. Maybe I need to create the distance. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, my, in my family, it's I've had to create boundaries too, and I just um, I think they see it because there was when I was on my um, vacation, like this is a, kind of a weird example, but like I just um, I was leaning up against the wall, and my my nephews are 12 years old, and they're like almost my height, and isn't that big a deal? I'm a five seven, so it's like ooh, big big uh like. <laughs> good job you know like we all knew that you were gonna be taller than me like it's whatever and um my my nephew was came up next to me and he was like near my height and my my brother-in-law said something like wow they're almost as tall as you I'm like cool yeah you know just kind of like chill and then my sister was like stand up stand up straight Jake so you can we can see and I'm like no like I just as an old Jake would have been like, oh yeah, let me see, you know, just kind of like, let's see. But I'm just like, no, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't want to be compared. Like, and that's something that I'm, I'm working on. Like, you guys don't get to do this to me and make me feel like I'm lesser because I'm sh- short or something. It's like, like my nephews are taller than me. Like, okay, cool. Like, there's like something a play there that I didn't like, and so I was just like, and my sister gave me attitude for it. She was just like, 
oh, someone's being sassy. And I was like, because I won't stand up straight for, you know, like, okay. Really, it's just me, like, standing up for myself. And I don't want to, I don't want to indulge in that, you know, whatever, whatever you got going on in your mind that is this comparison. I don't want to indulge. So that's, and I didn't. I didn't, I was pretty proud of myself for that, but. <laughs> I'm proud of you, Jake. That is, that's a great example of setting a boundary and a great example of getting pushback. So like setting a boundary, now you're sassy. Yeah. And situations like that with, you know, with relationships you care about and you want them to get better. That's where you might use that little mirroring back strategy um, mm-hmm. in the future where you can say, okay, like, so it didn't feel good to me to have my height compared. So I said, no. And now you're telling me that I'm sassy. So I, I guess it's feeling like unless I allow myself to be subjected to something that doesn't feel good, that like we're we're going to have a problem like that. That's no. not okay for me to do. And am, am I getting that right? Like you're saying to your sister, you know, it, is that actually the case? Because that's how this is feeling. Is that is that how you want me to feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I can just I'm. Even just doing that, they would probably be like, oh, well, you're just making a big deal about it. You know, I think, and I don't know where that would go, but it'd be interesting to see. And I, um, part of me is a little bit like wanting to see what they would do just to be like, just for my own, yeah. like, knowledge. And I, and I don't know if that's a little selfish, but I'm just like, mm. <laughs> but there was um, somebody, what did I, I think I, there's an episode that probably hasn't dropped at this point, but anyway, whatever. Um, a conversation I've had where um, with a caseworker where we, she was saying like, um, you can only grow when you're uncomfortable. And um, for some reason, I think it's like stretch marks with that. Like that's how um, like women, when they're pregnant, they get stretch marks and like they become like there's, it's society looks at that like it's a bad thing but it's actually you you created life because of those stretch marks yeah and um which is a beautiful thing but then society sees it as Mm. as not pretty but then we should be celebrating those stretch marks in any aspect of like our growth is something we should celebrate rather than like look at as something like um hideous and like yeah yeah. i love you (laughs) love you for saying that (laughs) I'm not a mother but like I'm sure that that resonates with mothers everywhere and women in general like thank you for being such an ally to women by the way you're I told you this before when I reached out and like kind of forced you to be my friend but (laughs) you know saying things like that even as a listener of the podcast it made me feel so emotionally safe to just like hear things like that being said so just thanks for being such a wonderful, awesome person. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, I I try. <laughs> now I'm like getting all like. <laughs> um, no, but I I mean, it's been a. I've always like women have always been. I just hold them to this like it's not even like a pedestal. I just kind of like because I've heard that's a bad like I've learned that that's not a good thing to to do, and that's like the you know, you're keeping them in place and you know, whatever, and like they're stunted, but like, um, I've always like looked up to my mom and just, and anyone, you know, strong women, I'm just like, yes, you do it. And especially, I think what's beautiful about, um, about it is that like, uh, I think I relate, it resonates with me how women are, um, constantly like treated as lesser in society. And like, I can resonate, I can relate to that because of, um, my gayness but then there's uh, if I were if I were straight I would you know straight white male I wouldn't be feeling that so there's I think there's a reason why gay men and women bond because we have that like connection yeah so. that's right we're allies allies yeah. just for equal rights and our authenticity so that's right. uh, yeah I'm trying to be a good ally to you and the community as well so we're we're in this together. That's right. Um, well, was there any you had some questions for for me? I don't know if you wanted to get into any of that, or I don't know if we covered it already. Let's see. The sure. So, and I don't know if you want me to go into my Mormon story, or that might not. Yeah. Have- 
Yeah, let's like, do that. 